on today's show, the Hawks go to San Antonio and steal one against the Spurs in the closing seconds. We'll touch on all of what transpired in a wild game, as well as the return of Pascal Siakam trade buzz. We'll get into all of that and more on the way. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1600. That's episode 1600 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on Thursday evening, deep into the night here into Friday morning. And today's podcast is brought to you by the folks at Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use promo code Lots on NBA for $20 off your first purchase with Game Time. And also, at the top of the podcast, I should encourage you to make us your first listen each and every day. Check us out anywhere you get your podcasts, places like Apple and Spotify on the audio side, as well as YouTube on the video side. And today's show, obviously a round number episode, a milestone episode of 1600. I appreciate everybody listening to the podcast. Our final show of November heading into December. And a good time to sort of say thank you to everyone for listening to the show both tonight and always. But honestly, a lot to get to on this particular evening. Not only a wild game, but also at the end of the podcast, we'll touch on some Pascal Siakam trade buzz that kind of re-popped up in the last couple of days. But we'll spend the majority of the show talking about what became a 137 to 135 win for the Hawks on the road in San Antonio. And it was a wild one. As you could probably tell by the score, I'm sure some folks missed the game or watched it you know, in bits and pieces. It was a later game on Thursday and not one that was on the national radar a ton. But the Hawks stopped, stopped a losing streak in this game. They lost two games in a row. They're now back to 9-9 nine and nine on the season. It was their largest point spread as a road favorite all year long. They were actually favored, according to our friends at FanDuel, by 6.5 points. And that was not a number that they were able to cover in, in the uh, betting world. But they won the game. Barely at the end. The Spurs have now lost 13 straight games, by the way. It's the first look for the Hawks and Hawks fans, a lot of them. Um, Victor Womanyama, who obviously is a one-of-a-kind prospect and did a lot of one-of-a-kind things in this game. But Atlanta trailed for the vast majority of this contest. In fact, they were down 15 points in the first quarter. They were down multiple times by, by 10 or more points in this one. And then until Trey Young kind of took the game over in the second half, they were uh, on the brink at different moments. But Trey was the big story on offense in this one. 33 points in the second half alone. Ends up with a season-high 45 points and 14 assists, uh, making some uh, recent history there with that kind of performance from Trey. And um, he was not alone. There were other guys who played well along the way in the second half. But um, he was the biggest story, and the offense was pretty good in this one. In fact, because they won the game, I'll be kind and begin my breakdown on the offensive end of the floor. So the Hawks... Had a 126 offensive rating in this game. That's obviously very good against anyone. The Spurs are bad defensively. That's worth acknowledging and leading with. This is a bad basketball team that the Hawks beat tonight. But that's a good number against anybody. They shot the ball very well across the board in this one. 51% from the floor, 14 of 33 from three, and 25 of 29 at the free throw line. Those are very good shooting numbers across the board. And the Hawks only had 10 turnovers. That's a very good number as well, especially with, this, with, with the fast pace this game was played at. That's an excellent figure for Atlanta. Seven guys in double figures, of course, led by Trey, but they had some good balance beyond that as well. And again, like a genuinely good offensive performance from the Hawks. It was largely in the half court, too. There was not a whole lot of transition work in this game, which is usually what the Hawks have been doing a lot of this year. And that did not really happen in this one because they really didn't get a lot of stops along the way, but because they were able to score so effectively in the half court, they were able to get out of there. And look, they did skew offensive and it's like emphasis lineup wise. In the second half in particular, they ended up going smaller and more offensively focused because they had some foul trouble, etc. But Trey was largely brilliant on offense in this one. That was big, and the Hawks did just enough 
on offense to mitigate what was not a great defensive performance along the way. So I said this a second ago, but obviously they did skew lineups a little bit to the offensive side, but look, it was not working when they were playing anyone. You know, they, they had some foul trouble. This is a weirdly officiated game. I'll say that. Um, a lot of, uh, I would say, ticky-tack fouls, and Quinn got the technical foul. There was some frustration along the way from the Hawks in this one. But big picture, allowing the Spurs to have a 125 offensive rating, even in a home game, is really rough. This is a, this is a bottom five offense in San Antonio. They're not good at anything on offense statistically this year. Really, like, I mean, other than like Wemby being Wemby, that's kind of it. There are some problems there with him, of course. That's not that can't explain all of it though. Let's just say so. The Spurs shot the ball very well, fifty-four percent from the floor and forty-four percent from three. I think it was a little bit unlucky on the Hawks' side that the Spurs shot as well as they did in this game. Like for instance, they also shot six of six on mid-range jumpers in this game. So to go with eighteen to forty-one from three. So big picture, they were twenty-four of forty-seven from outside of fourteen feet. That's fifty-one percent. Even if you're having a breakdown on every possession and leaving guys open. Teams won't shoot that well against you all that often. So it was a little bit, a little bit, a little bit unlucky. But the Hawks were still quite bad defensively for a large portion of this game. They did create 21 turnovers. That was a big part of why they were able to escape with the win. And again, some unfriendly whistles along the way, for sure, that led to some of their better defenders, uh, i.e. DeAndre Hunter fouling out in 22 minutes. Capella had foul trouble. Congo had foul trouble. Those are the three best defenders, and they all had foul trouble along the way, which is certainly part of it. But they allowed 34 assists in this game. The Spurs were better in transition than the Hawks were. Um, they gave up so many back cuts, the likes of DeJounte Murray and Sadiq Bey and Bogey. Like, there were all kinds of bad back cut losses in this game. But uh, in the end, it was enough because of Trey and the offense. And um, I'll just say this now before we dive in sort of the way this game flowed. I said on Twitter before the game, and I meant this, this, was, this would have been the worst loss of the season. And I said that before the game started. And then, of course, the Hawks were down the entire way. Now... It does not mean that the entire season is saved by this win. Like, obviously, it was not a great performance. Like You are able in the NBA to not play well and still get a win and, and sort of acknowledge the fact that you didn't play well, and that happened in this game. The Hawks did not play great, let's just say. Um, they should have won this game easier if they had played better. With that said, it's a win, and that's all that matters at the end of the day. And some co- Coaches sometimes like a close-fought win where you don't play that well because you get the win and also have a bunch of teaching time, etc. But uh, it was not a whole lot of fun if you were invested on the Hawks side. If you were a neutral observer, it was entertaining. It was kind of wild. But uh, anyway, we'll leave it there for now. And because I have a lot to get to on today's podcast, I'll touch on the first half now briefly on before we get to the second half and uh, much more to discuss on that half of basketball. But I thought the Hawks might start out this game with two bigs. Like, I've been kind of monitoring the situation with Atlanta potentially playing Capella and the Kongwu together a little bit. They did in this game, eventually, but only for a brief period and not at the outset. And they had Capella on Wemby to start the game, and I didn't love that. Um, Number one, Capella has many strengths defensively, but that's not really one of them. He's not ever really asked, which is part of this. Like He's not really ever asked to guard a player like Wembenyama, because there isn't anybody like that, but even a perimeter-based player all that often. Uh, And I know size-wise, if you start the lineup that the Hawks started with Bay and Hunter... There isn't a great option. In the second half, they tried Bay a little bit on Wimanyama, and I thought Capella was just better after halftime. But uh, it did not go well early on for Capella, just who was definitely, I thought, visibly uncomfortable defensively. And the Hawks were down quickly, 18-7 to out of the gate. 
The Spurs made their first six shots. They were making everything early on. Um, that's just worth noting. The Hawks did have another run against them in the, second, in the first quarter of 11-2. So they had an 18-7 run and an 11-2 run by the Spurs in the first quarter to go about, down by 15 points. Um, Julian Champagny, who was a fringe NBA player, to be kind, made three threes in a row for the Spurs. They had six threes, six threes in the first 10 minutes. And, um, yeah, there's there's that. The Hawks take back, get back within nine briefly at the end of the first quarter. Um, the Hawks, though, rotationally, I'll just mention this now, um, it was Garrison Matthews in the A.J. Griffin spot in this game. So the last couple games without Jalen Johnson, it's been A.J. as the ninth man, kind of being the first sub alongside Bogey, etc. Um, it was basically they handed his exact role from the, first, from the last two games to Garrison Matthews. So that's another podcast for another day. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not outraged by that because A.J.'s not been playing very well, but there's a discussion like about development and all that stuff about A.J., but he did not play in this game, and that is at least something to note here before we move on. Um, the rest of the second quarter... The Hawks actually did open the second quarter with the with the two center lineup. Um, they actually, I think, smartly when they tried Bogey, sorry, when when they tried Capella and Kongwu together, they played Trey, Bogey, and Bay with them, attempting to get some more space on the court. And that's kind of what you have to do. Like Bogey and Bay, I've railed on this a lot. That wing pairing is not going to be able to stop anybody. But if you're going to try a Kongwu and Capella, that is one way to do it. It's like to have your you know, three of your best four perimeter player offense perimeter players on offense alongside a Kongwu and Capella. It worked okay. It didn't dominate, but at least it kind of worked. Um, Trey actually started slowly. He was 2 of 9 from the floor in this game, and then finished, I believe he was 13 of his last 20 from the field, including threes, so he got hot after that. Um, Quinn lost his challenge mid-quarter in the second quarter on a charge from Hunter. Um, notably, that was a bad call, I thought, but Quinn did not win the challenge. It was kind of a low-leverage challenge, except for the fact that it would have been one less foul on Hunter and one more on Wemby which I think I kind of overlooked a little bit in the moment, but maybe this, maybe this is sort of revisionist, but because Hunter fouled out, that was one that would have been a nice overturn in some ways, but I, didn't, I did not love that challenge process-wise. Anyway, um, the Hawks did have one big run in the first, first half, a 25-9 to extended run to go from down 15 to up by one. They made some shots finally, and the Spurs actually missed some threes, um, but there was, again, foul trouble all the way through. Hunter, had, Hunter and Capella had three in the first half each. Akonwar had two. Um, defensively, some bad back cut stuff, as, as I sort of mentioned before. You know, Dejounte, Bogey, Bay, um, Garrison had one too. That was it was just rough along the way. But they were they were only quote unquote down by four at halftime, which honestly felt like a win after the way the first couple of minutes of this game went. But we'll have much more to touch on in a second. I promise you. On the second half, it was very very busy, and at the end of the podcast, we'll talk about some Siakam stuff. But first, it were from our sponsors on today's show. Today's show is brought to you by Game Time. You should never have to worry about buying tickets to a big event. When with Game Time, you absolutely never have to worry. They have last-minute deals and tickets for football or basketball or baseball or concerts or comedy, theater, and much more. It's incredibly easy to navigate as well to find and buy tickets for any event in your area. They have zone deals for an average of 18% savings when you check those out. And at Game Time, you can see the view for all the seats in the venue that you're looking for and it helps you know exactly what you expect when you arrive at that venue. They also have all-in pricing at Game Time, so you can know your total upfront without any of the hidden fees that some other places happen to have that drive me crazy. I will tell you that right now. And you also have peace of mind with Game Time. And the Game Time guarantee means you always get the best possible price with Game Time. Take all the guesswork out of buying tickets by using Game Time right now. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use promo code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase with Game Time. Terms apply. Again, create an account, use promo code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, we'll pick it up here with the second half of this game, and uh, it was a lot of back and forth, as the entire first half was. So there was an awful call, I thought, against Hunter within the first minute of the third quarter for his fourth foul. 
And that mean it meant he came out of the game immediately for West Matthews. That Capella got his foul, his fourth foul right after that. So um, Capella, by the way, averages like two fouls per game this year and had had four like early in the third quarter. Hunter a little bit more than Capella, but not a huge foul guy either. Um, the Hawks did have again, as I mentioned before, Bay on Wembenyama a little bit in the second half. You know that didn't work perfectly, but it was at least effective for a minute to kind of keep the heat off of Capella and Kongwu foul wise. Uh, Trey, I thought, got going a little bit, actually, when he got his continuation call that he never seems to get recently on a three-pointer. Actually, it wasn't a three. It was right a foot on the line. But um, vintage Trey, drawing contact, accentuated the contact, and then actually getting the call for once. And then he got real hot after that. But the Hawks were still not able to kind of get over the hump for a while because, like, for instance, Jeremy Sohan and Kelton Johnson started the game off. Those, they're, they're two good players, two good gun guys for sure, starters for the Spurs. They were combined 15 of 18 from the floor. For 39 points. And that included a bunch of jump shots. Not the greatest jump shooters in the world. So there you go. Um, the Hawks actually also played like the smallest lineup that, that they almost could possibly play mid-third quarter. As I mentioned before, they went offense only, or at least offense first in the second half, pretty much the entire way. But it was a Kongwu was with Wes Matthews at the four, who's about 6'5", Garrison Matthews, and Bogey as the wings, and then DeJounte. The only way that they could probably get smaller than that would be to play Trey instead of DeJounte, but... I mean, that is really small and really defensive challenged, let's just say. But offensively, they were really good in the second half, so I guess it kind of worked. And I think Quinn kind of figured out, like, hey, storm the, tor- the, the torpedoes, basically. Just try to outscore him, and they kind of did that in the second half of this game. But still, they got down 12 again because it was a 21-8 run by the Spurs, and they were looking up at the Spurs the entire second half for the most part. Quinn was not pleased at all with the officiating. He got a tee late in the third quarter. Um, it was not consistent at all for me. Like, I don't rail on refs a lot. A lot. And it's not always against Atlanta, uh, but it was just not consistent in this game. It was just weirdly, you know, ticky-tack at times. They, they, they let some stuff go, and um, a lot of the feedback I got from people that were there around the Hawks were, was not super positive, etc. Um, by the way, when Quinn got teed up, I, I believe the foul count was like 18-9 to nine or something like that. Uh, he also went crazy late in the quarter after a no-call on Trey. It was not ejected, but he kind of was uh, on the borderline there. But Trey got hot. That was the biggest thing. He scored the last 12 points of the quarter for the Hawks in the third, had 20 in the quarter, and was awesome. Unfortunately, though, the Hawks scored 39 points in the third quarter with no turnovers in the whole quarter, and they tied the quarter. That is rough because defensively it was just, yeah, rough. Um, In the fourth, again, they kept playing this offensive-only lineups because they couldn't stop anybody. But foul trouble, too. Like, you know, they went with uh, more shooting. Like, you know, West Matthews is pretty limited how many minutes he can play. So without him and without Hunter, they kind of had to go with more small units, and that kind of worked. You know, Kongu played a lot in the fourth quarter. He ended up playing 20, 28 minutes. That's a lot for him. Um, but they got going a little bit. The Spurs did make a bunch of threes. In fact, the Spurs tied, I believe, tied their season high in threes with 18 in this game, something like that. But the big the big swing happened mid-quarter, an 11-0 run to have the Hawks go from down to up in the game. Hunter made a three for the tie. DeJounte made a mid-ranger for the lead. I thought Capella really firmed up his defense in the second half when he came back in on Wemby, etc. DeJounte was better in the second half. I thought he was a little bit over-aggressive. I made a joke about kind of being DeJounte Murray time with an ode to my friend Robbie Calland. But uh, I thought he got a little bit trigger-happy at times, but he he was much better after halftime. I thought he was pretty shaky in the first half, better after halftime. Um, But it was tied with four minutes to go, and it was pretty much back and forth from there. Uh, I won't do the entire play-by-play from this point forward, but Trey did a good job. He set up Capella twice for easy dunks in the way that Trey often does. There was really one bad possession where Murray kind of isoed and had 
over Wemby, which is not a high percentage shot, missed it, and it led to a run out and a three. So that was a big swing. The Hawks could have kind of taken control if he made that shot or if it was a better possession. But then he got, then he got it back. To his credit, DeJounte made a catch-and-shoot three on the next trip to go up by four, and that was a big spot. So the Hawks led the rest of the way from there. Trey hit a ridiculous shot with about a minute to go to go up by four. Uh, just an amazing play in the middle of an amazing half from him. He was just dialed in, obviously, off the class. It was just a great shot, a star shot in a lot of ways. Um, Capella did a good job on Wimby again, contested it, almost blocked it. He drew a charge at one point in the uh, crunch time period that I know Quinn and Trey both talked about postgame. Um, we'll fast forward a little bit here. Trey actually had made, I believe it was 11 straight free throws and ended up missing one to kind of leave the door open a little bit. And then Sohan, kind of appropriate fashion, made a very tough three in the corner to make to keep the Spurs alive. Um, but the Hawks are actually up by uh, up by four, and then they gave up a second chance bucket with Capella off the floor, and uh, would have won the game right there if they got a rebound. They just didn't get one. So with the Hawks up by two, it got really dicey. I thought Quinn made a mistake tactically by calling timeout before the inbounds pass. Often it's easier to just get the ball in bounds quickly when they're not set up. And Capella was off the floor, so there was nobody that was a bad free throw shooter on the court. So um, if, if Clint had been out there, I would, I would have understood it more. But there was nobody else that, like, you, you want to avoid getting fouled. So they call timeout. You get to advance the ball, which is helpful, but you're, you're up two. They're going to foul you anyway. But that, so that led to the infamous play now at the end where Sadiq Bey pretty clearly has Trey open and just doesn't throw him the ball. He kind of just hesitated for that half second. Um, ended up being a really bad inbounds pass that he kind of, like, short-armed a little bit too. Ends up being a stolen, leads to a fast break. But Trey Young mercifully gets back and draws a charge on Jeremy Sohan to essentially win the game. Um, I think it was fortunate for the Hawks that the Spurs were out of timeouts because they, they actually had a challenge left, but no timeout to use on that challenge. I'm not sure they would have won it, but it would have been a very uncomfortable minute as they were, as they, uh, reviewed that play. But great play by Trey, you know, Quinn led his postgame press conference talking about how the, how the narrative changed on Trey's defense. And I've talked about this a lot. Like, I don't think Trey's playing great defense, like objectively, but he's been much better this season by his standards. No question about that. And uh, he's just being, I thought it was good on Quinn to kind of get in front of that and like try to, you know, re reaffirm Trey's effort defensively. Like, it's good for that to kind of be out there because he made, he made a big play there. Um, it should not have been that tight. You know, it was a bad pass by by Bay, but uh, in a lot of situations, that 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 lamp goes in and it's tied, and they're going to overtime, and maybe they lose. So they got out of there at the end of the game. Um, man, it was by the skin of their teeth again. It was it was a wild half of basketball. The Hawks ended up scoring seventy five points after halftime with three turnovers for the whole team. Trey had thirty three points, and they were still in some danger until the very very end of this one. But they got out of there with a win. It was an offense-first victory, to say the least. Defensively, there's a lot to clean up. And you know, even Quinn acknowledged that for the game. That was interesting that we said it out loud that they have some stuff that they are short on right now without and he specifically mentioned without JJ, which you know, without Jalen Johnson, which I think we all know, but just for a coach to say that post-game, it's notable that he's at least admitting that. Um, I would still like to see more of Capella and Kongwu in certain matchups together. I like to see a little bit more, um, you know, just creativity and maybe some more drop, honestly, with Capella on the court. That's stuff that we'll save for later on when we have a bigger uh, platform to talk about it. But for now, the big thing is the Hawks just won this game. They they escaped with the win, and uh, that was uh, an urgent thing because it would it would have been a bad loss. I would have come on the show, and I I foretold that before the game. I would have come on the show and said this is a bad loss if they lost this game under any normal circumstances whatsoever. So they uh, avoided that fate. And they got back to 9-9 nine nine on the season. Okay, we'll have more on this game in a second with some player-by-player -player evaluations and observations. And then we'll have some Siakam talk 
But first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. As the weather gets colder, the NFL and NBA offers get hot and stay hot at FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. If you're a new customer, get $150 in bonus bets. Any winning $5 money line bet, that's $150 in your pocket if your team wins. And there's awesome perks of signing up, of course, with FanDuel. And there's also everything you're looking for in the sports betting space. That includes over-unders and point spreads. They have money lines and player props, future bets, live in-game betting, as well as same-game parlays. It's all there for you, and the app is safe and secure. They cover the entire range of sports as well. The NFL, the NBA, college basketball, college football, MLB one season's going, of course, college you know, college sports across the board, golf, tennis, soccer, auto racing. They have MMA and boxing, etc. And they have the Hawk stuff that you're looking for as well. Um, not only future bets, but also player props for games. Everything you're looking for in advance of, of the game on Saturday in Milwaukee. Um, pre-game lines, live betting, etc. And now is the best possible time to sign up with the folks at FanDuel. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Check out the official sportsbook partner of the LockedOn Podcast Network. Make every moment more with FanDuel and choose an offer that you absolutely not want to miss at FanDuel right now. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Okay, into the player-by-player evaluations in this game, and we'll start with the bench, as we often do. Um, nine guys played in this one, including four off the bench. Garrison Matthews played 12 minutes. That was the fewest of anybody. He had three points on one of four from the floor and one of four from three. Um, one steal, one rebound. I thought he played fine. He was a little bit um, aggressive, but you want him to be hunting his shot when he's out there. That's one of his primary values. Um, I don't think he played great. I think they probably could use more defense from, from that spot, honestly, but they don't really have another guy for a defensive possession. Maybe Trent Forrest, but you're pretty small. There and of course AJ would have been the other option, and uh, you know Garrison, you could argue is just like more like you know play ready right now than AJ. I don't know if I would make that argument, but at least he's more you know he's more of a veteran, etc. There's a whole discussion about AJ in the future, but I think that Garrison um, was okay when he played in this game. Wes Matthews, three points, two assists, 15 minutes, took one shot and made it, had a block. Um, Wes Matthews is not like a, a savior by any means, but he will do his job defensively, and that is a, not a small thing for this Hawks team right now. Um, he is limited both in size and in quickness, but he will execute. And I'm, uh, obviously I am prone to liking defense first veteran wings. That's kind of always been the case, but I thought he's, I thought he was valuable in this game off the bench. Um, a Kongwu, 28 minutes, 11 points, eight rebounds, uh, um, one turnover, four fouls, 28 minutes again, um, two of three on, on twos, one of three from three. So three threes in this game. That's pretty, pretty trigger happy there, but five free throw attempts, I thought he played fairly well in the second half, like alongside everybody else. They had they had it, they had it going a little bit. Um, the spacing, the flow was good in that small unit with Trey and Akongwu when he came back in the game in the fourth. Um, they, went, they, went, they went back to Clint, I think in part because Akongwu had played so many minutes in a row. And then they stayed with Clint, which I was okay with. I would have been fine if they had gone back to Akongwu too. So, like, again, it's, it's sort of a good problem. They have two different kind of players at center. Um, I thought Akongwu was a better matchup in some respects for Wemby in particular than, than Capella. But um, I thought Akongwu was was solid. He, he wasn't incredible, but he was solid in this game. Bogey had a, actually a team best plus 12, 14 points and three assists, two steals in 32 minutes. He was three of six on twos and two of four on threes. Um, played a lot. I mean, Bogey's going to be, Bogey's playing starter minutes now with Jalen out. And he should. Like, Bogey is a better player in a vacuum than Hunter. Bogey's a better player in a vacuum than Bay. So, like, obviously, like, skill set wise, defensively, Bogey isn't the greatest fit in the world with both Trey and DJ, and I totally will understand that. But as far as like overall player quality, you could argue he's their best wing. And I always I've kind of always argued that when he's available. So 
it, it's interesting. I, I wish he was better defensively, like everybody does, but offensively, he undeniably helps them, like both with like his gravity and also his uh, his aggressiveness, his passing when he's when he needs to do that, etc. And he was valuable in this game. To the starters, DeAndre Hunter had a rough one because of the foul trouble he was in. Like he played 22 minutes and fell it out. And Trey, in the walk-off interview, basically said that DeAndre wasn't allowed to play regular basketball because they just wouldn't let him in this game. And then Quinn mentioned it after the game as well, probably in a little bit more of a, um, I don't know, diplomatic way than Trey did. But I thought, you know, Hunter committed a couple of fouls maybe, but not six. Like, he got a really unfriendly whistle in this game. And, again, he's not he's not like super high foul player. So it was kind of a weird situation. Quick kept going back to him in a way that, like, showed some confidence, but then he would just, you know, a minute later get a foul. And it was a it was a weird night for I thought he played okay for the most part when he was able to play but just a lot of fouls did three turnovers in the game but a, kind of a lost one for DeAndre Sadiq Bay 13 points four rebounds did have three steals in this one um, made three threes that was very valuable I, I kind of want Sadiq to shoot more when he's out there because of his you know it's kind of a long way around this but I think his his shooting is his most valuable asset number one number two defensively he continues to be very very rough um, off the ball in particular I thought he was actually okay on Wemby one-on-one when they let him do that for a few minutes, but his his off-ball defense is just an adventure on a regular basis. Um, and I, I think the Hawks need more from him offensively to kind of counteract that because like, he has to play right now. Without Jalen, there's not really any other option, especially on this night with, with Hunter, but even when Hunter is not in foul trouble, yeah, you might want to play Hunter 35 minutes a game, but then Bay's got to play to 25 at least. So like you can't get away from him, and you, you're hoping for the defense to kind of improve along the way, but um, yeah. Kind of a mixed bag. He wasn't great, nor was he terrible. Um, Capella, I thought, was pretty good in the second half in particular. First half, not as much. It was a rough ask to have him guard Wemby like the way they were having him guard Wemby in the first half, and he was a little bit out of it, but I thought he was particularly like notably good after halftime. 12 points, 9 rebounds in 23 minutes. Um, finished around the rim effectively, 6 of 9 from the floor in this game. Had a block. I think he might have got robbed of one, too. I think he, I think he probably had two blocks in this game, and they only got one of them. But uh, He had one hilarious Capella... Um, gaff in the first half where he kind of lost the ball going up and it was almost like he airballed a layup. Tough scene there, <laughs> but I thought Clint was uh, good in the second half for sure. Uh, Murray was better tonight. I think it's notable, and I've said this before, but um, he was on the injury report four or five games ago, and ever since then he's not really looked the same as far as like physicality. Um, I'm not sure if it's still bothering him. It was a calf issue. Um, but he was better in this game to the point where he's actually, he was probably a little bit over-aggressive. Again, he's, it's a return to San Antonio. I get all that. Um, 24 points on 22 shots is not great, nor is it terrible. It's fine. Um, five assists. No turnovers is actually nice for DeJounte. But I think defensively, man, uh, he's got to be better. I thought, he, I thought he was better early in the season compared to last year when I was critical of his defense a lot. And now he's kind of reverted back to where he was last year, which is not acceptable right now with where the Hawks are. Um, they just need they just need flat out more from him and Bay and even Bogey and um, all those guys defensively. They, 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 it's a team effort for sure. But uh, I thought he was better in this game, um, better in the second half, but not uh, not his best either. And then Trey was awesome, man. Like, I mean, what, what are you going to say? I, he started off slowly as far as his shot making in this game, but um, second half was just brilliant. He had 33-7 and seven after halftime. Ends up with 45 points, a season high, 14 assists. Hawks PR had this stat that's pretty crazy. The last four times that any NBA player has had at least 45 points and 14 assists, the last four times that any player in the NBA has done that, they're all Trey. That's pretty crazy. Tonight, of course, once in 2022, once in 2020, and once in 2019. So, like, it's an arbitrary endpoint. I get that. 
But, man, he was brilliant in the second half of this game. He really was. And uh, that was a big reason why the Hawks won this game. Like, he wasn't perfect in the first half by any means. But uh, he, he, I won't say he won the game by himself because he didn't. But uh, he obviously had to be really good. The Hawks won, won this game by two points at the end. And uh, he made the game the game saving charge charge draw, and then also had again thirty three points after halftime. That's all I have on the game. A win is a win is a win in the stat sheet. Uh, had they lost this game, it would have been pretty dark in a lot of cor- corners of the Hawks internet, I'd imagine. But they got the win, and then it's on to Milwaukee from here. In between that, though, I'm going to give the short version of this shtick. I wrote about this topic. If you want more on this for now, I wrote about it at Patreon.com/slash/BTRoland. But Mike Scotto reported. Of Hoops Hype. Mike does a great job over there at Hoops Hype that the Hawks are continuing to monitor Pascal Siakam as a potential trade target. So, I would add this. They never stopped monitoring him. That's my understanding. Obviously, it got quieter in the, at the end of the summer because that's basically what happens anytime training camp's about to happen, unless it's like a, a James Harden situation where he's forcing his way out. Deals don't really happen for big time players in October and November. It's Something has to happen that's big. But this is a scenario that I've discussed probably 10, 12, 15 times on the podcast. I mean, it's literally since June or July on repeat. So I will not do the entire thing here, but I've always heard that the Hawks have legit interest in Siakam. They also drew the line somewhere this summer as to what they would not give up for Pascal. And that is a big reason why he's still on the Hawks because the Raptors were asking for a lot and the Hawks didn't want to pay that asking price. So stuff to consider briefly here. Siakam's on expiring contract. That's important to keep in mind. He also has signaled to, uh, through his agency and representatives that, um, in the past anyway, he's not wanted to be traded. He wants to stay in Toronto, and if he gets traded, he does not really want to go to Atlanta. That's That was out there this summer. I've heard that repeatedly. Um, that could change. Not sure it will, but it could for sure. So the combination of the expiring contract and also the fact that he doesn't necessarily want to come here right now is from what I've heard. Um, that means the Hawks have to be careful with trades and that's one of the reasons why he's not been traded for so far is that you can't give up the farm for a guy and have him leave in the summer especially when you are where the Hawks are which after 18 games are 9 and 9 and like even if you think they're better than that they could be 11 they could be you know 11 and 7 but they're not going to be right now a title contender if you add Siakam they'll be better but are they going to win the championship this year I kind of think not so all that said you know there's, there's guys that have to be involved in the deal to make the money work. It's a lot of money. He's 29 years old. Um, Jalen Johnson's emergence could be a factor here because they kind of play the same position in a lot of ways. But they could play together for sure, but um, is Siakam and Jalen in a center going to work? Spacing-wise, Siakam's shooting has not gone well this year. He's in a smaller role than he's ever been in, basically. Well, not ever, but the last couple of years with Toronto as they're kind of moving on from him, it seems like, but also not. That's the short version. I'll have more of this if it comes back up. And look, Mike's doing his job, and I, I, I'm not criticizing this at all. Um, I just think that the Hawks kind of never stopped monitoring Siakam. So it's been on my radar for a long time. I haven't talked about it for a while because it hasn't been like burning and burning and burning because it's early in the year. But as the deadline comes near in February, deals start to get talked about more once you get to like mid-December, Christmas time and beyond. Um, for now, it's still really early, but um, it's on the radar again. And if you want more on that topic, I wrote about it, but also listen to the podcast I did all summer long, and I'll leave it there for now. By the way, he's a really good player. So if the Hawks trade for Pascal Siakam, they're going to improve their team in doing so. It's all about the asking price. It's all about what you want to give up for them. Future stuff, salary cap stuff, the boring stuff that I have to cover because it's my job. But um, Siakam's a good player, and uh, keep that in mind through any kind of uh, talking points. Before we get out of here, the Hawks play again on Saturday in the fifth and final game of the road trip. They at least will not go worse than 2-3. and three. They're 2-2 two and two now on this trip. They could be 3-2 two, two or 2-3. Two and three. 
Um, by the way, the league announced the two scheduled games now that the Hawks did not already have on their schedule because of the in-season tournament. They're going to play Wednesday at home against Brooklyn, and then Friday they will go to Philadelphia um, a week from today. So a week from, I guess, tomorrow if you listen to this podcast, whatever it is, uh, the 8th. So those will be the two rescheduled games. The Hawks have a pretty reasonable travel schedule compared to some other teams, but actually got a pretty difficult slate because Brooklyn is not great, but that's a home game, uh, and that's a, they're not bad either. So that, that's a uh, decent game. And then having to go to Philadelphia is tough. So that's no, no favors done there by the league in the rescheduled games, of course. Uh, and yeah, we'll leave it there for now. But Saturday's game in Milwaukee is a tough one for sure. Milwaukee is not playing at like an elite level by their standards, but they certainly are a talented team that has great players on it. And that's a road game, and uh, that's a big challenge for Atlanta. But we'll have more on that after the game on Saturday. Before we get out of here, a PSA. If you're a new listener or folks who have not heard this recently, there's some extra bonus content happening on the audio-only feed, so Spotify, Apple, etc., of this podcast. So don't be surprised by that. It's coming from the Lots on Sports Atlanta crew as well as the Lots on Podcast Network. So nothing less from me, just extra content coming to you. If you want to listen to that, check it out. And uh, my my slate is still the same. This is the fifth show of the week already here. We'll have more on Saturday, but it's been busy, and you still get the same amount of me, so don't worry about that. But please subscribe to the podcast five-star ratings and reviews anywhere you get your podcast. Tell a friend about the show as well. It'd be huge if you could go ahead and share the podcast with someone in your life that is a Hawks fan that might enjoy the podcast. Follow the show on Twitter at Lots on Hawks. Follow me there as well. If you'd like to, at BT Roland. Again, my written work about the Hawks comes to you at patreon.com slash BT Roland. With all that said, I will see you after the game on Saturday.